0: Hi, good afternoon, and happy holidays, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host of the show today, Mary Fran Johnson, and I'm very pleased to be having with me Michael Salas, who is the Chief Information and Digital Officer at Suez in North America. Now, before we get underway, I wanted to remind our live audience that we are following all of our feeds on Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube's IDG Tech Talk channel. And if you have questions for Michael, please uh, join in the conversation. We encourage that throughout the whole uh, 45 minutes or more that we'll be here. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael. He brings 20 plus years of experience to his current role, leading business transformation and customer experience programs. And he brings that to his current role at Suez, which he joined in 2011 as the CIO from, uh, as the CIO from the Suez Group in Australia and New Zealand. In 2016, he came over to the US and became CIO of Suez North America, which is based in New Jersey and operating across all 50 states and Canada. With more than 3,300 employees dedicated to environmental sustainability, the company provides drinking water, wastewater, and waste management services to 7.3 million people every day. For the last two years, Michael and his team have been doing such innovative work, they've earned two CIO 100 awards in a row, which is how they have been showing the world the innovative uses they're making of IT for business value. For the last, let me see, he's also taken a very active role in bolstering women in technology in Suez, and for the last three years has been chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Council. So that's one of the topics we'll be touching on today. Before he joined Suez, Michael worked for some of Australia's most prominent companies in entertainment, ticketing and financial services and held various roles around technology planning and strategy, client management, IT operations and service delivery. He is a great believer in lifelong learning and has earned several business leadership certificates by studying at some of the world's most respected universities, including Stanford, MIT, the University of Technology at Sydney, and the Australian Graduate School of Management. So, Michael, welcome here. It's so great to have you.
1: Yes, thank. Thank you very much for having me today. You're
0: so welcome. We're already detecting a little bit of an accent, so we know that you're not a native of New Jersey. No. G'day, everyone, for all those Aussies
1: (laughs) out there. (laughs) There
0: we go. Perfect. Well, let us start out the way we often do, uh, kind of flying up above the industry and talking a little bit about the disruption and what you see in the competitive landscape.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Suez, uh, globally, uh, we're an environmental services company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we operate in, in a number of businesses, um, you know, one being the, the water business and the other being waste and, and resource recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we, if we look at the water side of the business, um, you know, there's one main pipe coming down your street. There's one service line going into your house. So. Yes. For someone to come and disrupt that business model, um, you know, one would say, well, there's quite a lot of capital. You know, you'd have to invest to do something. They'd
0: need a pretty big pipe, a pretty big pipe, and pretty big
1: pockets from that point of view. Um, And then also on the on the on the resource recovery side of the business, where there's some big plants that are recycling plants, uh, recovering uh, organic waste Mm -hmm. plants, Mm -hmm. uh, energy from waste plants. Um, they're they're huge investments, yeah. um, huge yeah. investments, and then you've got the collections business, which is a re- reverse logistics business where you got to buy these trucks on the road, and, and yes. those trucks aren't cheap. So it's
0: lots of heavy equipment involved. I-
1: exactly, exactly. A lot of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- we could be complacent and and think, no, we're not going to get disrupted. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I don't believe that. I think there are parts of our value chain uh, mm-hmm. that could get disrupted if we don't invest in those areas. There are definitely companies coming in and trying to sort of get in between our relationship with the customer. Okay? Ah, there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think, um, you know, in, in particular, the utilities industry is not renowned for, for customer experience and customer service. So there are some players trying to yeah. get in between and, and see the value of um, providing a great service to our customer and, and the data we can sort of um, sort of – Create a better level of service for them. Yeah. Um, and then on, on, on the waste side of the business, it, it's interesting because there's a company we invested in uh, in Atlanta called Rubicon Global. Ah. And they mm-hmm. built a, uh, a platform to put um, all the individual uh, haulers on there. Um, and they created a platform that had a win-win for the hauler and the customer. So from the customer mm-hmm. side, it was more, um, how do you get better environmental sustainability uh, sort of objectives and recycling rates? And mm-hmm. then for the haul, it was more, okay, we can give them more volumes, we can um, help them with uh, savings on some of their uh, procurement for what yeah. they do for the trucks and things like that. So. I don't personally don't believe the whole part of those industries or that whole industry is going to be disrupted. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are bits of the value chain that could be yeah. if we don't continue to invest in, in innovation and digital and technology.
0: Well, it's great that you're actually thinking about that relationship with the customer and changing it and advancing it and improving it. Because a lot of times with water and electricity, with all of the services to our homes and our cities – you tend to only think of these things when there's a problem.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit like IT, right? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it is. (laughs) It's great when it works, but when it doesn't.
0: I know, that's when you get the call. Yeah. Um, Well, and you've done more than just uh, talk with your executive committee and your board about opportunities. You've done the Silicon Valley tour with an yeah. executive. You mentioned you'd done that recently. Talk a little bit about the focus you had when you went out there, who went along, what kind of things did you do out yeah, in the Valley?
1: Definitely, I mean this was mm-hmm. uh, organized by, by the the group uh, mm-hmm. out, of, out of Paris and uh, there was a number of executives from all around the world. Wonderful. Um, and, and it was really to uh, sort of create that awareness around um, the pace that the Valley operates, what are the opportunities in the Valley and mm-hmm. the different ecosystems. Um, so part of that trip included um, visiting uh, venture capitalists, um, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, Andreessen's and Horwitz. Uh, we went there and they had some startups that pitched to us. Part mm-hmm. of it was looking at uh, education. We went to Stanford and the Stanford Research Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of it was looking at some of the startups in, in the valley, both in the water and waste businesses. So it was it was a, a great um, five days where um, there was a lot of conversation, um, there was conversation around: Well, is that company a partner? Is it a mm-hmm. disruptor? Um, is this something we need to invest in? Um, yep. Creating those connections with all the different businesses around the world, and then at, from an executive point of view, point of view, taking it. At, the conversation away from the traditional industrial company to more digital and how we can actually make the most of our digital investments and the data that we have in, it, in our different systems.
0: Interesting. We well, must be seeing a lot of beneficial fallout from that.
1: Yeah, definitely, <coughs> definitely. Just
0: in the level of the questions that get asked now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that you mentioned was um, you've got a lot going on with your IoT, your Internet of Things platform. Um, there was, uh, I think you were just kicking it off, and there was a lot of data ag- aggregation going on around uh, operational reporting.
1: Yeah, definitely. Talk a
0: little bit about some of those specifics.
1: Yeah, uh, I think, um, so today we have the largest uh, smart meter network in the water industry. It's, uh, I think it's mm-hmm. 1,300 miles, okay? So it's almost like our own network, right? Yeah, um, we and we have about 55% of our customers that are on smart meters. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a lot of IoT today, um, but a lot of it is um, sort of segmented systems, one for the smart meter network, one for maybe a water quality sensors, right. some IOT for district media. IoT silos meeting. essentially. IoT silos, yeah. exactly. Um, and you know, no one's really just sen- uh, selling you a, a, a sensor on the network, they're selling you a platform, okay, to really hook right. you into the data and, and the accessibility to the data. So. What we're uh, starting off uh, in the new year, we partnered with a a company out here in Boston called PTC and their Mm -hmm. ThinkWorks platform. Um, And we're gonna trial a, a district in New Jersey where um, we're going to put on the one platform all the smart meters, all the district meters, the water quality sensors, the pressure sensors, and all that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. expose all that data in the one system to all the operators to be able to manage that system and things like that. So it's exciting times. I, I mean, it's something yeah. that I'm really excited about and passionate about in our business because I think data is is gold for us. Um, yes, you know, and and. We're capturing so much of it, but we've really got to um, you know, build that data-driven culture in our organization and really, you know, harness the insights and the value we can get out yeah. of it.
0: Well, and I, interesting, I think that the flip side of the coin on data has now become all the security necessary around it. Yeah, I can remember a couple of years ago, CIOs starting to say data is the new oil. Yeah, and maybe it's my media mindset, but I think, well, what do you do when you have an oil spill? Yeah,
1: you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it can
0: make quite a mess, right? Yeah,
1: um, and that's a big focus both yeah. globally at Suez, uh, yeah. which is around, okay, how do we create the right um, data roles in the different uh, organizations, the, the mm-hmm. data architecture, the data governance, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for our business locally here in, in North America, we went through a digital transformation over the last three years. And I called it the mm-hmm. stage of going from analog to digital, where there was yeah. a lot of paper-based processes for, for work management for our field crew out there. Mm-hmm. We're now uh, we're making investments in infrastructure the uh, transmission distribution crew would have a folder this full of permits and and yeah. plans and and all that sort of stuff to our customer in- interactions and things like that so we've we've gone from that analog to to digital sort of um mm-hmm. sort of organization in particular in our in our water utility business now it's time to go from that digital to that data driven organization yes. and that's much harder because it's a big cultural change. But it's not It's stay. not about technology, right?
0: Right. The technology has become easy now, and now it's about people's behaviors yeah. and the way they respond. Well, already we have our first question from our LinkedIn network. Thank you very much for that. Um, and the question is, it's playing in on your accent there. Do you okay. see a cultural difference in the way IT and IT leaders are viewed between Australia and the US? Uh, interesting yeah. question. You, uh, it is a good question. <laughs> you have had a first-hand, a uh, front-row seat for that.
1: Definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, I'll put some context around it. Uh, okay. You know, Australia is a population of 24 million people in a continent yeah. the size of the US, right? And, and mm. here it's 300 million people, right? Uh,
0: more crowded. It's a yeah. little bit
1: more crowded. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we we have the the saying uh, called the the Aussie battler. Okay, which mm-hmm. is sort of um, you know we're we're a small country, um, but we're quite uh, an innovative sort of country and yeah. have a. I would say a knack of simplif- simplifying things right? okay. and, and looking at mm-hmm. how to make things simpler. Um, whereas, um, you know, over here what I've noticed is, um, you know, it's a lot more complex, okay? Just because we have of a the knack scale, for complicating things. Just the scale, saying. how yeah. many people, mm-hmm. uh, regulation and, and, and things oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's definitely uh, a lot more complexity. Mm-hmm. Um but some of the skills that I like to bring into my role is trying to look at that complexity, understand it and then try and simplify it in terms of the messaging that I'm giving to the to the executive team. Right. right. The great question.
0: That is a good question. Um, well, and back a little bit to uh, the disruption that you see around in the industry we we talked a little bit, we touched on the waste business and that globally that's much bigger than here in the US for Suez. But you did mention one company you had invested in that was a real disruptor there. Mm, definitely. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, Rubicon uh, Global, mm-hmm. uh, based out of Atlanta. Pretty much when I started here three and a half years ago, what are what are my roles that, that I was given was to do the due diligence on on the company, um, which was really interesting. Oh, and on really, Rubicon.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and and the business that I worked for in Australia was predominantly a waste business, mm-hmm. um, and so I had a lot of experience in terms of um, you know the, the waste business, how and it there, operated, you're, the business model. Expert on the ground. For yeah, think, yeah, and um, you know, I, I um, I'd been following Rubicon previously, um, and they've been doing some some real innovative uh, things, and um, yeah, it's it's a great business model. Where if you look at the the fragmentation of the market here in the US and, mm-hmm. and what they're pushing for, um, they've created a great platform to put all these independent haulers. There might be a company that, or, or mum and dad that own mm-hmm. three or four trucks you know, having the scale and ability to compete uh, with some of the big players in, in that industry. Um, and their their values are completely aligned with us in terms of resource recovery, environmental impact and making sure mm. we can, um, you know, really reduce our impact and, and waste on, on the environment. Um, huh. They're doing some really clever things, in particular in the in the smart city space um, where they're mm. using uh, definitely some of the technology in their trucks to um, alert their, their clients or the municipalities, um, of whether it's, uh, you know, Uh, Potholes in the road, or or whether there's issues, or whatever. So, they've got a a really good um, business, a current business model, and looking at some real innovative things in the future but I won't let out too many secrets.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Well, no, we don't want... We. I know some of your folks are listening today, yeah. so we don't want you to, like, get in trouble yeah. <laughs> with the boss. We've got another question with such about the IoT network and how large it is. Do you see any potential to offer additional services that homeowners might be interested in using the platform that you're going to pilot?
1: Uh, yeah, we've um, we've piloted uh, street lighting on that same mm-hmm. uh, network that, that we have. Um, so it's definitely something that we can look at additional services, but at the mm. end of the day, it's got to add value to the customer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, the, you know, the street lighting w- was great for whether it's a municipality that we are ser- it's in our service territory or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, but that's about as far as we're taking it. Um, you know, definitely exploring parts of that, but but not something that's uh, in the immediate f- future.
0: Okay. Well, and one of the things that you'd mentioned, um, you know, that you, for at least three years you've had a digital transformation effort ongoing, and uh, that maps that maps so well to what I hear from so many CIOs, because it's a three to five year process to kind yeah. of get into that position where you can say, all right, the transformation is well underway and lots of things are working. And you had mentioned that you've been very fortunate with Suez, both in the uh, Australia and in North America, about the level of executive support that you've had across the suite. Did that happen just in a flash? Or what was it that what got the executive committees and the
1: boards yeah. uh,
0: to that sort of level of support?
1: Uh, look, it, it, it was a lot of work to, to get there. Um, I, I was fortunate. Um, we all want
0: to hear that it was easy. Yeah, no, unfortunately it's not. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. You know,
1: I remember um, – I'll tell a little bit of a story here where when I first started and started putting the plan together in terms mm-hmm. of the investments we needed to make uh, into our, our technology team, um, and they're quite significant um, mm-hmm. and something that that business in North America hadn't, hadn't seen before – Um, And I had three or four uh, pretty confrontational meetings uh, with senior executives, Mm -hmm. um, not just locally, but uh, Mm -hmm. at at a group level, executives uh, there, um, around the investments and what the return on the investment was going to be um, and, you know, what the payback was and and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate here locally, uh, had some great support uh, from executives ranging from the CEO uh, to also the CEO of the utility business, David Stanton, who has mm-hmm. been a, a great supporter of the team um, and the investment in digital. So I mm-hmm. think it's always easier for the CIO when um, your peers and, and, and you know, leaders of different business units are completely supportive mm-hmm. of what you're doing and how di- digital can enable you yeah. know, their business yeah. growth or their optimization. Yeah. so um, but it wasn't easy to get to that place and, and you know what I would um, advise is, Firstly, you got to get the basics right. So if your mm-hmm. service delivery is not working, mm-hmm. um, then you're not going to get a seat at the table. You're not going to have those more strategic discussions. Um, and I was fortunate enough when I started that um, the service desk we have uh, here at Suez in North America was getting satisfaction ratings of over 80%. So it was fantastic. A great team there. That's They're getting over 90% month on month at the moment, which is fantastic. Yeah. That allowed me to build the capabilities around project delivery and change management. Okay. Ah. And so... Um,
0: you didn't have to fix a lot that was broken. I had to create yeah. a lot that wasn't there. That's, uh, that's nice. That's, um, a much, that's a much better role, much better role. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we yeah.
1: you know, strategy and architecture was a big piece. So the first year was building uh, that technology roadmap and getting buy into that. Mm-hmm. The second year was building that project management capability and mm-hmm. change management and delivering, uh, you know, about 20 projects um, uh-huh. and getting credibility for the delivery, not just yep. the strategy. Right. Um, and, and so that's two, a two-year process, right, to really, mm-hmm. you know, have those uh, conversations, have that support, and have that, um, you know, just being able to to these days having more strategic conversations around technology rather than just the break and fix. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. And if you have just joined us here, we are, you're watching CIO Leadership Live. I'm the host of that, Mary Fran Johnson, and I am fortunate today to be here talking with Michael Salas, who is the Chief Information and Digital Officer at Suez in North America and we do have questions flowing in. I'm starting to feel a real competition oh, from okay. the audience <laughs> out here because i got questions I wanted to ask too. But this is a really good one because we're talking about the CIO role, and the question is wondering whether the next CIO role is a, a combination of automation and IT. I mean, is it as much part of all of the advanced analytics and those technologies as it is of the foundational kind of Technology approaches. Yeah,
1: um, I... we talked about this a little bit yeah, about it
0: being the orchestra conductor, yeah, and I think exactly. that question gets to that. I
1: completely agree. I think there, yeah. there is you need to to have those capabilities around technology and enablement and service delivery. Um, there's the piece around understanding the business. Okay, mm-hmm. a big part of the CIO role is really understanding the business. Um, Yes. You know, I get into the into the trucks uh, with a field crew and go out uh, for half a day and see how they're using technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sit in the call center, um, I understand the business model and the PL of those businesses. So I think, um, you know, the CIO, yes, technology is a big part of it, but mm-hmm. an, uh, almost as big part, is understanding the business and how technology can add value to that business. Yes.
0: Well, and that probably plays into you don't use IT as the IT organization or group anymore internally. You are business technology services. Yeah. BTS. Yeah, and it was a,
1: a, um, you know, it was a a name I put together for the team in Australia. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then when I came over here, you know, IT... It was very much a, a back office IT team, and we had to transform it. So part yeah. of it was rebranding to, to business technology services, and mm-hmm. why that name? Business—that's who our customer is. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's and we can't forget that. Technology—we mm-hmm. should be good at defining, delivering, and operating uh, technology solutions, and mm-hmm. so everything has to be as a service, right? We've got to oh, deliver delivering as everything a, as, as, as a, a service. service. Yes. So that's where BTS sort of comes from, and, yep. and that's where we and yeah, we, we we like to think of ourselves as a little bit more of an IT plus um, sort of organization. We've got change management as. As a big part of it. We've got mm-hmm. customer experience. It's a big part of the team as well.
0: Oh. Um,
1: so it's a little bit more than just your traditional sort of yeah. you know, IT towers, say. Well,
0: and I'm always interested in the change management aspects because how an IT organization is structured and put together is so different now than it probably was three or four years ago. Um, when you uh, talk a little bit about the scope and the size yeah. of your IT organization and how do you have it? Structured. It yeah. used to be I could ask this question and everybody was plan, build, and run. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's different now. So tell yeah, me about how you have BTS structured.
1: Definitely, I think uh, I'll go back to to three years ago, and it's a mm-hmm. great question because I just recently uh, restructured the team a little bit. Um, okay. So, that's called call this BTS version one. I'll bring the geek out in me a little bit. Version two is the, is the new yeah. structure. <laughs> um, so, it was more your traditional towers. We had strategy mm-hmm. and architecture. You had your, your project management office, your change management office, um, customer and digital. Mm-hmm. Then your application management towers, um, IT operations with the service desk, and then cyber. So, that's okay. sort of your traditional, sure. let's say, or, organization. Yeah. So where that's changed um, recently is um, I'm fortunate that um, our utility business is going down in Agile, uh, has been implementing Agile for the last year in terms of their business practices. So mm-hmm. they're having daily stand-ups, quarterly goals, um, they've got squads for different domains in, in the business and stuff like that. So I needed to, to change the team, and this is what version 2.0 is, to really align to that and support what that business wants to do so Mm -hmm. we created uh, product managers um, in the uh, in the customer and digital team that we call the customer experience team now Mm -hmm. Um, so we have got a product manager for the online experience for the the call center experience and for the infield you know people on on the ground sort of experience Um, so that's a that's a that's an organization we built uh, ready for agile um, to deliver incremental improvements Mm -hmm. um, in each of those different channels there Um, Data is is a huge part of our our strategy for 2020, and so I combined uh, both, um, let's say, data architecture and the delivery of our reporting and data is all into one team to really, focus on the transformation of the data culture and mm-hmm. building that center of excellence around building our data lake, which we're, we've coined the term the data reservoir. The being, reservoir, I like know, that. Yeah. In the yeah. water business, not creating a data swamp, right, and just chucking everything <laughs> in there. <laughs> um, you were right. actually,
0: I think, the first person I've heard call it a data swamp. Yes. Or the dangers of getting lost in or drowning in the data swamp. I yeah. like that a lot. reservoir. No, no, no I've got to give
1: credit to one of our BRMs, uh, Ed Hackney, that came up with that term. Oh, so, yeah. yeah so very nicely done. Um, Language so is important. It is I very mean, important. It's
0: not just editors who think that. It really is important.
1: <laughs> and and so, look, so we've got a couple of the teams there that, that are sort of structured in a way for Agile. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've still got some of those traditional towers around application management, cyber, and IT operations.
0: Right, right. Well, one of our one of our many questions that are coming in, this one was about business relationship managers or a BRM-type position. Um, what do you think about that? How is that role a position to help the business. And I wonder how you also see it changing because BRM roles have been around for a long time, yep. but I think they're a bit different today than they were five years ago. Yeah, ah. yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they're a little bit different because the demands are much greater today in mm-hmm. terms of new initiatives and, and things like that. Um, I, you know, I see, um, I think everyone has a role in the team um, around business relationship management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, a key thing uh, within my team is to make sure that the customer is happy, um, with the level of service we're providing, whether it's service desk, whether mm-hmm. it's in an applications team delivering a project to the BRM, so yeah. it's not the sole purpose of the BRM to make sure the customer's happy. Okay. Okay. The BR, my view is the BRM is there as an escalation point um, mm. to have strategic discussions uh, with the different business units to uh, help
0: them solve problems. Help them solve yeah. problems.
1: Understand their strategy and how we can do that. Um, so we, you know, we we have implemented BRMs for for different parts of the business, mm-hmm. um, but we also have you know traditional project managers that that operate in that extent in terms of delivering a project. We have business analysis that are part mm-hmm. of those teams. Um, so so the BRM it, it is changing um, also around the financials as well and presenting what the financials are and being completely transparent in terms of what things are costing, yeah. what the investments are, and, and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a it's a great role I think. One thing that, I, that we changed with our team, we took the opportunity with the utility business uh, and, and with David where we uh, integrated the BTS organisation with his team. Right with the business. So it, you, you don't Perfect. go to one area and go, that's BTS in that corner or of the yeah, office. Right. The capital planning guys are with the, the asset management team. The finance mm-hmm. um, application managers are with the finance team. Customer experience are with communications and yeah. things like that. So it, it's really the embedded more, them. With, yeah, them.
0: It, it, when companies talk about becoming agile enterprises, they're not talking about a development methodology. They're actually talking about more of that, yeah. where it just – I've had some CIOs tell me that if you look around the table and from the conversation – You can't tell the difference between who's in the business and who's in IT or BTS, uh, that that's kind of the holy grail. Exactly. And and I
1: think sometimes when I speak to uh, different people in the industry and I say, yeah, we're implementing Agile, Mm -hmm. the first question I ask is, well, how's the business model changing or how's the business interacting with you? And if if they're not along with the journey uh, with you, then Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's going to be successful. And it's not Agile at all costs, right? There are still some traditional projects that you still got to do through your PMO and, and We're gonna have mainframes till the end of time. I got news for everybody, (laughs) you know,
0: (laughs) and and using agile processes on some kind of really vital mainframe process. It has never made sense to anybody, yeah, yeah. really, has it?
1: If you're doing a bigger ERP project, uh, you're uh, probably not going to be doing agile, right? No,
0: no. I, I mean, it, it's just sometimes when I've, I've talked with CIOs in the banking industry, and they're kind of like, well, there's not a lot of things on this part of our organization, say, in IT, that you really want to be just racing around and doing new things every every. Yeah week. Exactly. Um, And and then but on the
1: customer experience side, there's Mm -hmm. quite a lot of changes we're making and and, you know, timely changes and things like that. So it's that balancing act that the CIO has of where is the right way where is the right place to implement that methodology and where do you need to keep some of the traditional sort of methodologies. Yeah.
0: Well, I feel like I'm never going to get to all my questions now. I got another good one from okay. our audience, um, and this is about: Can you explain the dynamic between your BTS organization and the OT departments, the operational technology? Because yeah. of course, in a company like yours, that's significant. It's that a, would be where all the water engineers and the you know the the really. People that were never considered themselves part of the technology department yeah. per se. So, how do you how are you uh, delivering and managing IoT yep. with regards to that?
1: No, that's a that's a great question. Isn't it I, a good one? Th- yeah, look, I, I love mm-hmm. it. I, I think um, IT and OT are kind of merging together. So that's my view. Yes. Right? Yeah. Whereas the technologies, the communication protocols, all those sorts of things were very different in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, we work very closely with the with the OT team. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we have quite a lot of expertise around networking, security, and and infrastructure design um, mm-hmm. for our plants and, and things like that. Um, and they obviously have a lot of capability around automation and how to run the plants and and what's important to, to make sure that plant's operating. Yes. Um, so we we actually work really closely together. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're actually seated with each other as well. So the mm-hmm. actual strategy and architecture team are right next to where the operational technology yeah. team is. Um, so they're, they're working hand-in-hand in a lot of these projects. Um, and it's not that's ours or that's yours. It's, mm-hmm. it's really working on it hand-in-hand. And cybersecurity is one of the interesting ones where who is ultimately responsible for that. Um, mm. And I believe in my organization, it's me. Okay, okay. The, the buck stops with me. And so I need to make sure that I'm working with the OT team to help secure their platform, secure yes. their plans and – Take advantage of some of the, the stuff we've implemented on the corporate side um, yeah. that that actually makes sense to implement on that side. So mm-hmm. we are working very closely with each other, um, mm-hmm. and um, you know. But as you, you know, there's, a, there's a different culture between the two, and, and you've got sure. to work through that. Um, but I'm really happy with how it's operating today.
0: Well, and on the OT side, I, and maybe I'm wrong in assuming this, but doing like turning a lot of standardized processes into agile approaches probably is not one of the no. things that's high on everybody's list. Exactly. Uh, I'd, so I'd be correct with that. Um, also, I was thinking whenever there is uh, a really big, terrible data breach, it's Almost always the CIO who gets thrown out the yeah. door, I've noticed. <laughs> you know, sometimes hand in hand with the CSO. Yeah. But you know, the CIOs do tend to take the brunt of it. So I think it's fair enough. It's smart also to realize that it really does stop with you. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, it, it's gonna they're gonna get in through the weakest link, right? Yes. R- regardless whether exactly. that's the corporate or the OT exactly. or whatever it may be.
0: And sometimes it may be an old system that OT installed in the basement. I yep. think that, that was behind one of the big retailers that had a breach. Definitely. It was like the HVAC system some little yeah. terminal on the network that stuff can happen. Um, have a question about uh, for the um, for those who have 15 plus years in IT leadership experience. What skills or strengths should IT leaders most focus on to update? What kind of skill sets Ah, should, yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? And I know that you have done a lot of, uh, you know, like I mentioned Stanford and MIT and the Australian universities, that you go back to school a lot. So what kind of skills should your very, your more mature CIO and CDO colleagues be looking to make sure they stay on top of that they upskill themselves on? Yeah,
1: definitely, look, uh, I. Yeah, I'm a real big believer in the growth mindset. Yeah. Um, um, so your learning and your growing doesn't stop when you finish your college degree. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to continue throughout your your career, in particular if you're working in IT. Um, I try and um, really every year do something um, mm-hmm. to up my skills. I've got, um, let like say, certifications in some of the traditional frameworks like ITIL, you know, mm-hmm. PRINCE2, you know, TOGA for architecture. But then I've also done some some great courses. Uh, I recently did one at Harvard, um, mm-hmm. which was Clay Christensen's uh, Disruptive Innovation. Oh, okay, Highly great. recommended, fantastic course yes. around, you know, disruptive innovation. Um, and so for me, it's, it's around developing more some of those soft skills Mm -hmm. um, but also having that inquisitive mindset to think about where is certain technology going that might be able to add value to the business right yeah and so you know i did a, a coursera course on machine learning um you know my own time okay. uh, i think it was andrew eng's um sort of course on there yeah um, just because i know it's a huge potential for our business yes um, and i need to get to understand it a, a lot more yeah um, so having that growth mindset um and and always sort of learning and, and wanting to learn i think is mm-hmm. instrumental in, in a CIO role um, and uh, definitely not to lose track of the soft skills as well. I mean, yeah. they're, they're very important. Um, yeah. And uh, most
0: you CIOs know. have to build that aspect of themselves up because yep. the first ten or fifteen years of your career, it may be more about what you know technologically. Yep. But now, it's leadership is a whole different
1: yeah. kettle yeah. of Without skills, it isn't it? Yeah. I, was, I was that yeah. techie CIO, you know, back in back in the day in, in sure. Australia. Um, And I had to learn the hard way in terms of being able to uh, communicate and and, and sell what we're doing and getting up there and presenting to boards and and things like that. Yes, Um, Yeah, we do uh, definitely um, push a lot of training within the team. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's presentation skills training. um, Sometimes it's training around customer service. um, Sometimes, you know, emotional intelligence training. So all those things are are very important, um, you know, as you get into that CIO role. And, And more importantly, um, vendor management. Okay? A big oh, part of our yeah, role yeah, yeah. is of managing course. vendors. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't believe it's something you can say, look, that's procurement's job. It's not our job to do. Right. The more and more that we're buying services as opposed to software or hardware, mm-hmm. the more and more you've got to really understand those vendor contracts, how to manage those SLAs, how to manage the life of a mm-hmm. vendor contract. Uh, which is an important skill.
0: Well, and that can be the heart of risk management. When yep. you look at all the risk you might encounter, we did at, at several of my CIO events last year. I had a lawyer friend come in and talk about managing risk from kind of a contract point of view. And yep. it, had, it was all to do about working with your vendors yep. and getting your best deals for the company yep. and that sort of thing. Um, there was, let me see, wow, well, we got more questions about, <laughs> more questions from this audience. This is very, um, I wondered, this is another future-oriented question about how do you envision uh, growing the team in the future? Uh, How do you envision growing an IT company in the next five years? What will be the vital qualities of IT companies to be one step ahead in the coming years?
1: Wow, okay. Yeah.
0: Since we're just talking about vendors, I think when they say IT companies, they mean companies providing IT services and products to the yeah. market. So what are you looking for these days in your vendors? And
1: um, what could they be doing better? Yeah, look, mm-hmm. I'm definitely um, looking for a partnership. Um, you know, yes. Um, whether you're an employee that's part of the team, you're a contractor or a vendor, mm-hmm. my view is you're part of the team. Right. Mm-hmm. You're helping me deliver and the team deliver what the business wants us to do. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really around that partnership. Um, you know, as a vendor that I dealt with recently, they'd sold something and all they're worried about is what else are going to sell to us, right? Um, that's a
0: transactional relationship. It is that's very transactional. And, yeah. um,
1: you know, I had to sit down and have some of those, uh, fairly honest and open conversations as us mm-hmm. Aussies can only have, Yes. And say, like, <laughs> this isn't working. You really need to change yeah. your approach. I don't yep. want the salesperson in this office. I want the service delivery person. Right. Yes. And, Once you can prove to me that you've delivered everything you said, then let's look at a partnership and expanding those services and and things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you need to have that relationship and have someone invest their time in building those relationships with the vendors. Yes. Um, You need to bring them on board with what your strategy is. Uh, They need to understand Mm -hmm. your organization just as much as your employees do, I believe. Yes. Um, And and really get them to to buy into it, to come up with innovative solutions or services Mm -hmm. that can help uh, where you need to go. Um, And then there's a piece that that may be a little bit missing these days, which is around the the data piece in terms of what are they capturing um, of of your data? Is that a competitive advantage to your organization? Is it something that's really valuable? Um, And then really having those conversations around um, who owns that data how is that data going to be shared um, and and things like that. So
0: That's one of the issues we always talked about when my lawyer friend would come and do a presentation to the audience. He talked a lot about – paying a lot of attention in contracts to what's happening to your data and is it getting aggregated and is it being used to create some new product yeah and if so how come you're not being compensated for exactly. that yeah and, and that's yeah. one of the
1: challenges with a lot of the mm-hmm. um, startups that are doing machine learning these days where yes you give them your data that actually makes their algorithms a lot better sure it does so you yeah. might be you might be doing a pilot with them to see if it's valuable whatever it may be but you need to make sure in mm-hmm. the contract that Once the pilot's over, successful Mm -hmm. or unsuccessful, you need to get that data back and it's off their platform.
0: Because the more data you put into an algorithm,
1: the more valuable it's going to get, the more they're going to tweak it and, and things like that. Hmm.
0: What has been well? Let's talk a little bit about that about machine learning and AI. Yeah. Those they're really hot topics right now. They're they're what cloud was three to five years ago. Definitely. Uh, everybody is talking about it. They're big buzzwords. Um, and you've been doing so many advanced things with what you're doing uh, right now at Suez. I was surprised that you're in the relatively early stages right now with what you're doing. So talk about your data strategy, how you're t- you. you Took a course on machine learning yourself. Uh, So, how are you putting that to use? And so, kind of lay out for us where that all is. I I think there's
1: there's huge potential in in machine learning. I I think Mm -hmm. uh, I saw something on Twitter uh, about a month ago, which was um, if it's machine learning, it's usually written in Python. Um, If it's Mm -hmm. AI, it's usually in PowerPoint. Right, so (laughs) I (laughs) thought that was hilarious and I think it's a great point I think um, that is a great point you know there's a lot of buzz around AI there's no doubt about that Mm -hmm. and there's going to be some time before I love that written in PowerPoint yeah exactly yeah um, so mm-hmm. uh, machine learning I- is great. The more and more data that we're collecting, and we talked about IoT earlier, and we're collecting more and more timely data in terms of what's happening on our network, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we need to be able to, to, to go through all that data and provide value. So there's a number of um, startups that we've worked with, one in particular mm-hmm. where um, they take uh, our data um, and look at um, our pipe replacement program and mm. try and predict where the next main breaks are going to be so we invest that capital in that yes. area as opposed to somewhere where the, they don't predict there's going to be a main break for a while. So it, there's a lot of data that goes into that. It's about the pipe, um, what material it is, what's mm-hmm. the flow, what the temperature's been in that area, yeah, all of those sorts of parameters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we sort of test that algorithm based on the last five years of main breaks that we've had, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure we've got a finite amount of CAPEX that we spend on on, on infrastructure upgrades and so making sure we're, we're doing that in the right yeah. place. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's machine learning is is going to be huge for our business, whether it's around, um, yeah, you know, letting customers know about um, leaks, you know, water leaks, right?
0: Right. Yeah. So
1: today, um, how smart you look too. If you yeah. call up
0: the customer and say, by the way, th- we think this is coming. Here's what you need to do.
1: Exactly. And, <coughs> and today it's it's very rudimentary, which is there's a flow over a couple of days. We'll send you a note and say, hey, we think there's a there's a mm-hmm. leak. Whereas I think in the future, it's going to be more around as we combine with the data we get from our customer experience uh, systems, we can say, well, hey, you've got a you've got a pool. Mm-hmm. It's that time of, you know, it's it's in the summer period. Maybe you're filling up your pool and sending a more targeted message to our customers. Say, hey, hmm. we noticed there's been constant flow over the last couple of days. You might be filling up your pool, but just wanted to let you know, as yes. opposed to we think you have a leak.
0: Yes, because if you're on vacation in Hawaii and someone else is filling up your pool, <laughs> <it> might <laughs> you might want to know issue. about that too. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, Let me see, I wanted to uh, pause for a moment and welcome you if you're just joining us. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, you have tuned in to CIO Leadership Live and I'm talking today with Michael Salas who is the Chief Information and Digital Officer at Suez in North America. We've been getting lots of great questions from the audience. I would encourage you to keep them coming, but I can't promise we'll get to all of them because <laughs> I'm trying to ask Michael a few questions myself. But thank you. Please keep sending them in. Um, we had, we just had a great one about, you know, like uh, uh, ongoing learning for mm. CIOs and things that you get. There was a more general question around that about how you measure success and what it looks like for your team, for your business technology solutions. Have you changed the way you think about and look at that than you did, say, three to five years ago?
1: Uh, yeah, I would um, I would say I'm more looking at the business outcome. Yeah, as opposed yeah less to, did about uptime. Uptime, <laughs> yeah. or did we deliver that project on time and on budget? I'm looking more at, okay, did the business accept the change? Uh, Mm -hmm. Did they change their processes uh, and and their operating model and and really got the benefit? So uh, I believe you you need to really be looking at value creation a lot more. But that's Mm -hmm. very difficult, okay? It's it's difficult because usually you'll finish your project and then the value creation is probably not six to 12 months afterwards. Okay. So once the, the system's in place, people are getting used to the processes, and then ah, you can start So seeing. there's the
0: whole edge. You can't just, like, you know, wipe your hands uh, of it and move on yeah. anymore. But then <laughs> you'll go back and, and do, yeah.
1: do an analysis, see, okay, how much more efficient are we or has the, yeah. the customer satisfaction rating gone up or whatever it may be. But that's, that's always challenging uh, to get some of that data as well. But mm. um, I think value creation is a big part of what I look at more. For, for yeah. me, um, I, I get great satisfaction when the business get up there and talk about what we've delivered on their behalf. Okay, yeah. So that's that's the thing for me. Or yeah. the business comes to me and says, you know, this person in your team, I want them to work for me. They are so good. Um, that, you that's want what, your
0: people to get stolen. Uh, you know, yeah.
1: exactly. I, I want yeah. to see them develop. I want them to yeah. see them grow. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's that's where I get my satisfaction. I mean, we, we've mm-hmm. changed our uh, yeah, from that sort of annual planning cycle to quarterly goals uh, mm-hmm. and, and using – John Doer's OKR sort of methodology around that, uh, which seems to be working well. Okay. Um, so we, we are very um, you know metrics focused in terms mm-hmm. of what we're delivering and what some of the metrics are. Right. Um. But but like you said, those metrics are changing from availability uptime or whatever to customer satisfaction to value creation, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I know you and your team have been actively involved in uh, customer journey mapping.
1: Yeah, definitely. And
0: that's not something you just sit down and draw a few graphs on a paper. <laughs> it's complicated, right? Very. Uh, talk about talk about that a little bit. I mean, that's because you said that you mentioned that part of your role is to change the mindset and and make people really think in terms of the customers. Yeah. You know? So how have you done that, and how was your group involved?
1: Uh, sometimes um, we focus a lot about internal processes mm-hmm. and how to optimize those internal processes so we okay. can you know we can get more work done or whatever. It may be so um, earlier this year we we um, went through a process to, to build a customer experience strategy for the next five years and mm-hmm. a big part of that was creating these customer journey maps and okay what they were was more bringing all um, the leaders of customer service from around the country together with the uh, customer experience team mm-hmm. and pretty much mapping the journey from the customer when they move into a, a house or an apartment in our service territory to paying their bill, to resolving their issues, to mm-hmm. managing their water and conserving water and things like that. And really looking at the journey through that and where the pain points were, mm-hmm. um, where the opportunities were for improvement, uh, where we were doing things really well, um, and creating a five-year roadmap with something like 60 initiatives on there of areas that we can okay. improve the customer journey. So. It's, it's fantastic because you're putting yourself in the customer's shoes. It's not about internal processes or anything like that. It's all about right. the customer yeah. and where the friction is or whatever it may be. Uh, we, we delivered a new payments uh, platform recently um, mm-hmm. and the whole friction around that was just to make sure they can just one click pay for their bill. Right? Yeah. Rather, enter their credit card every single time when their expiry dates and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or they can just very quickly say, hey, I want you just to, to direct debit every month. And they the can ability. actually
0: just tell Alexa to do that now,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as part of that, that. Um, Give a
0: shout out to, yeah, you know, to Alexa. Your, whatever your voice recognition uh, system is. Yeah. Yeah, that
1: was, that was great because uh, we. Um, we did a, a huge investment in terms of our customer portal. Um, okay. Then we mm-hmm. uh, implemented a new platform into our 14 customer service centres around the country, so on the one IVR platform. And right. both those solutions were completely integrated with the back-end systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, if we look at the, the IVR system, um, when a customer calls, we try and predict what they're calling about to try and put them in contact with the right person. So mm-hmm. let's say their bill's overdue, let's put them into to billing and payments just see yeah. what, what happened, is there an issue or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Or if there's a main break, particularly in the area, let's put mm-hmm. them into the, the emergency response plan group and whatever it may be. So we're... Um, you know our ivr solution is uh, about 40% of the calls it's dealing with okay wow. which is okay. which is great okay yeah. uh, and it could be something as simple as what's my bill All right yeah. so we were able to reuse a lot of those investments to mm-hmm. very cheaply integrate it with alexa okay because nice. we've got this open great. web services architecture and got this middleware yep. that we invested in uh, three years ago called MuleSoft that was bought by Salesforce, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. last year. I remember year, uh, this that, year, yes. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we've got this whole API strategy, and it was very easy to reuse those APIs already built and point them to Alexa. And all of a sudden, oh. we've got very cheaply a great service to our customers that are vision impaired mm-hmm. or um, a lot of people are using voice as a new interface, right? Um, yeah. I know when I look at my, yeah. my younger daughter's, they're talking to Alexa all the time, a lot more mm-hmm. than on, on a screen.
0: Yes. Well, in, in, in many ways, it's high time, too, because my um, my son, the one who, who actually works at Google, I remember as a three-year-old him going over and looking at the VCR and couldn't – a three-year-old, mind you – and leaning over and saying, play, <laughs> and standing there. And, of course, nothing happened, but uh, it's just the expectations we have from, from technology – often don't have anything to do with what is currently available. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're a three-year-old, I guess. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, I know that you've spent three years on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee uh, at Suez and that you have two young daughters and this is a real area of interest for you. What have you tried to do around that and what kind of things do you encourage inside of Suez?
1: Yeah, great. Um, I would say uh, one thing I'll say, I've got hope for this. <laughs> okay. I want to start off by saying I'll come back to it in, yeah. in a sec. Um, when I first started, I think uh, the team was uh, maybe fifteen percent women in the mm-hmm. team, um, and so we've grown that to about forty percent now. I haven't got twenty nineteen figures, but we're about forty percent uh, in, in BTS. That's pretty um, good, which is moving, a parody, we're, we're right, moving right, the needle. we're not right. not a parity, but we're moving the needle. Suez, so is a, a very um, active uh, in terms of uh, gender parity, um, and. You know, there's some mandates where any manager or position, there needs to be a qualified woman that's uh, interviewed mm-hmm. uh, as part of that. Um, we have goals in terms of our long-term incentive plans. Um, mm-hmm. We have a new CEO, Bertrand Camus, uh, at, a, at a group level um, who has reshuffled his executive team and mm-hmm. there's a lot more women on that executive team, which is Good. which is fantastic. So, yes. um, uh, you know, th- there are some things we are doing um, within the to, – to really – especially in an IT uh, team and also within the water industry, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, which is – traditionally been uh, male dominated. Um, what, what I would say is, recently um, I was nominated for an Orby New York CIO award.
0: Yes. And, mm-hmm. I, and I
1: turned up to the uh, the nominations dinner. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the nominations dinner. And and I looked around the room, and there was one woman in the room. Um, and, and, and a lot
0: of women in IT have that experience, especially yeah. CIOs, female CIOs. Exactly. Are, all yeah. have stories like that. And, yeah. and you've
1: been to the CIO conferences, right? It, it's I've run a lot of, a lot on, of them, yes. A of, there's and a lot of men on stage, right? Yeah, um, I know. And so, I've got
0: nothing against middle-aged white men. I like <laughs> them quite a bit, yes, but often to them, yes, they are. They're just
1: going to bring mm-hmm. some balance, I think. Yeah. And um, it's just you know, bring so in some different viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, um, you know, so I spoke to the organizers, and I said, look, you know, mm-hmm. why haven't we got more women in the room? Yeah, and, and the conversation went around. Well, the, the men tend to be more vocal in terms of putting applications in and things like that, and mm-hmm. and the women not so much. And I said, well, what can you do as an organisation to try and push that? That's right? right. And really Good drive it. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because when we went to the the breakfast, and I'm not saying or uh, that I had a difference here, but what happened was. We had a keynote speaker, which was Becky Blaylock from Southern Company. Oh, I Company. know Becky, yes. Fantastic, mm-hmm. right? The yes. Leadership Award, which was the, the round award, went to um, the CIO for Ralph Lauren. Okay, oh, uh, Janet, Janet Sher- Sherlock. Janet Sher- yes, Sherlock. Yes, of course. And then out of the four categories of the other CIO Awards, two of them were given to women, which I thought was fantastic. That so that's is. why I have hope. You yes. Know, I'm hoping that that can continue um, in some of mm-hmm. these conferences and CIO conferences mm-hmm. we have where we've got a little more, a little bit more diversity of thought on stage, yes. and it's not just the, the men up there talking about what yes. we've done and, and things mm-hmm. like that.
0: Well, and I know I, I recently moderated a, a panel about diversity and female leadership at a Boston meeting of the Society of Information Management, Boston yep. SIM. It is the largest SIM chapter in the country, so okay. there's like 300 members here locally. And we had a panel discussion, and I have five fantastic women on the panel. And I had them at the end, everybody Was giving their recommendations, and just everybody was basically on board with we need lots of help from the men in our lives and the professional and on a personal basis that that is all very important and that it is not something that women can solve all by themselves. But we also, you know, called out the fact that, and I've heard about this from female CIOs, that they'll have a position that's posted. We talked about this, and there'll be 10 qualifications. And if a woman meets nine of them but not the 10th, she may hesitate to apply, whereas guys, God love them, if they see one thing on there that they think they can fake,
1: (laughs) they're they're They're, right in in there,
0: they're right in there. But you made a very interesting point about when you're evaluating candidates, is it the absolutely most qualified person for that particular role, Or is it somebody who's going to be the team, do good for the team? Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. I really like that point of view. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: When we're uh, recruiting Mm -hmm. uh, new people in in the team, uh, we definitely have not just the manager of that team interviewing them, a Mm -hmm. lot of their peers are interviewing. And then um, we have a people forum, which is my my senior leadership team, to discuss the new candidates and and make a decision as a team. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the debate... Um, in these forums around, well, this is the most qualified person, and then on the other side of the debate is, is is that person going to be the right cultural fit or do you need some balance in the team, right? You can't have all A-stars in the team, right? And so th- there's there's They'll always arguing with each other most of exactly, the time if everybody's
0: right. an A star know it all yeah <laughs> yeah um, and, and as
1: long as they, they show the ability to to learn new things and, and grow mm-hmm. you know they don't need to be the absolute most qualified candidate so we yeah. do we do take a balanced approach from from Good. that point of view um, and in particular from a diversity point of view as, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um, there there are some roles where um, you know I, I'm pretty hard on on the recruitment team we have in sewers and say look I want some women resumes yeah okay? that's right because we need that balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important.
0: Good. Well, and I really applaud that because I think the more voices that are speaking up, and it doesn't have to be women. It can be people with different educational backgrounds. It can be different people, people of color. I mean, when you look around a room and you see mostly reflections of yourself, yeah. uh, you got to know that you're not getting all the viewpoints exactly. at the table. It's a great way to look at it. Uh, well, I can't believe our time has gone flying by. That's it already. Yeah, it's wow. it already. I told you it would fly. <laughs> and I have to, I, for all the great people that sent questions, and I'm sorry we didn't get to every single one of them, but we're going to actually as we go into 2020, we're going to extend our time with Leadership Live to a full hour, which, you know, I applaud. I think that we maybe we'll get to more of the questions that way. But I want you to wrap up just with uh, kind of yeah, you like a message of hope. I want you to talk about uh, your leadership lessons learned, the things that you think are uh, really, basically, should give CIOs and CDOs out there the most hope as we go into 2020. Great, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, look, I would say uh, I mentioned earlier around understanding the business. I mm-hmm. think that's that's a key. That business acumen is, is a key part of it. Yes. Uh, we talked about customer service and and whether it's your internal customers or mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know your your external customers in the organization. Um, I'm a big believer in authentic leadership. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think
0: authentic leadership and servant leadership yeah I really like exactly. that, those so ideas so if
1: I'm asking the team to go and be out there in the business and, yeah. and, and work with the business and post on our Yammer group whenever they're out in the business to show they're out there mm-hmm. I've got to do the same thing so it's it's walking the talk at the end yes. of the day and not expecting someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself mm-hmm. um, so we have a, a lot of um, sort of town hall meetings. Uh, we call it it's usually on a Thursday, so we we call it uh, TGIT as opposed to TGIF. Um, okay. Yeah. So and um, you know we, we just talk about what's worked well, what hasn't, what the challenges are, and, and mm. things like that. So kind
0: of like the agile stand ups. Yeah. and That kind um, of thing. So yeah. so
1: definitely um, that's an important part. We talked about the growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay. Always learning. Yep. Um, and then you got to um, you know recognition for the team. Okay, that's, that's paramount. Yes. Um, I yes. mean, w- working for a company like Suez, um, it is a challenge to find talent, okay, mm-hmm. because we are competing with uh, big tech in Manhattan and Wall Street. Yeah. Um, but we have a purpose in terms of what we do. And, yeah. our inc- and our impact on, on the environment um, so and that's a great mission to have these yeah. days
0: that's a great mission for getting millennial candidates in environmental exactly. sustainability you're very serious about that yep
1: exactly mm-hmm. and and uh, you know usually in an interview I spend the first 20 minutes talking about our company right yeah. and, and what we're doing and, and yeah. things like that so I think having that that mission and then that recognition and mm-hmm. showing uh, the team how they're directly impacting, uh, not necessarily the bottom line, but the growth strategy of the business. Um, So whether it's, um, you know, whether it's David Stanton who's coming along and presenting at one of our town halls and Mm -hmm. saying thanks for for the projects we did, whether it's the business up there presenting at a manager's conference about what we delivered, or it could be the CEO just picking up the phone and giving recognition to someone, which I've done before as well. So I I think... um, You know, it doesn't have to be huge, you know, big parties and stuff like that all the time. I think it's important to celebrate the wins and celebrate Mm -hmm. the projects and and things like that. But sometimes it's the simple stuff. It's just saying thank you and and, and walking around and talking to the team um, to make them really feel part of it. And I believe we've been successful at Suez. Uh, I'm not just Mm -hmm. talking about myself. I'm talking about, you know, my senior leadership team because we we have a a number of contractors and a number of Mm -hmm. them have come on as permanent staff and and things like that. So they obviously enjoy working there. So... Having passion for what you're doing and having a work environment that really encourages to excel, I think, is is really important. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's a very powerful combination. You've got the mission of environmental sustainability, you've got a leadership team showing appreciation, and you're communicating with the team about the impact that they're
1: having. Exactly. That's
0: a pretty great formula. So, All right, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Thanks, Mary Fran, it's Uh, been great.
0: Yes, it really has. And we appreciate all of our live audience members out there as well, I uh, this will be our last show of uh, 2019. But we will be back on Wednesday, January 8th at noon Eastern, when I will be talking with Letty Nettles, who is the senior vice president and CIO of Novant, Novant Health, and it's another another mission-based company out there. And um, please do join IDG's uh, Tech Talk, our channel on there on YouTube. And we will look forward to seeing you uh, the next time we come back around with the show. And thank you very much for joining us today, and have a wonderful holiday season. Take care.
1: Happy holidays.